you know where the new district officer lives? Yes, monsieur. Send someone for him. Tell him there's been an accident and Mr. Hammond's dead. Yes, monsieur. Okay. And get word to Mr. Crosby. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we watched the eighth movie in the 1940 nominees, The Letter, starring Betty Davis. And there's not a lot to talk about here. Yeah, it turns out we don't need to bingle answer clause this one because we're going to be done in like 15 minutes. The (laughs) best thing I will say about this movie is that finally a movie where it's good, Betty Davis is a shitty actress for like two thirds of the runtime. Because Betty Davis plays a woman who... Really, from, like, scene one, you know what's really going on, which is that she has shot the man she's having an affair with and is lying about how that man tried to rape her, basically. Right. And then there's just kind of this long, boring story about how she gets away with it, even though her lies aren't very good because she has an extremely good lawyer who's conflicted for some reason, rather than just going, you're a terrible person. Basically, she was like, this guy just came up here for no reason and started hitting on me and I had to shoot him. And then almost immediately, they're like, so it turns out there's a copy of the letter you wrote him that said, please, God, please come over. I'll kill you if you don't. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't literally say that, but it's very close. And then there's this whole section where they have to get the letter back from the dead dude's wife, who is a woman in yellow face. That's fun. But they do get the letter back and she's acquitted, but then still has to confess to her husband that she did a big affair followed by a big murder. And then their marriage is wrecked and the woman in yellow face comes by to murder her which I don't know why she didn't do earlier, and the film ends. That is the whole plot. Yep. I mean, the things to talk about that we normally talk about, the cinematography is sufficient. Everything is visible. (laughs) Yeah, costumes are fine. Yeah, nothing exciting, but I guess they're suitable for what's happening. There's no tour de force performance. No, the best performance in the movie is Betty Davis trying to get away with murder because she's not very good at it, because she's not a very good actress. But then when she is confessing the actual murder, it's indistinguishable from the part where she was supposed to be pretending to be doing Like, you just sort of realize, like, oh, it just worked when she was supposed to be doing a shitty job. Yeah, when she's telling the truth, it seems also as melodramatic and put on. There's just not much here. Remarkably, there would have been even less stuff if it weren't for the Hays Code. The whole third act is essentially mandated by the Hays Code, because in the original version, she just gets away with murder. And so I don't understand what this play was. <laughs> it's just like a woman shoots a guy and then goes, nah, I'd, I'm innocent. And then everybody goes, oh, okay, wait, there's a letter. And then they get the letter and then she's found not guilty. Like, I guess it's supposed to be one of those things where it's like, can you believe that injustice exists in the world? And it's like, yeah. (laughs) And pretty much only benefits white people? Uh, Yes. Yes, I can believe that. That's not that hard. I mean, really, the only major thing to discuss is the really offensive part of this movie, which is 
Gail Sondergaard, who is an American actress, I would assume by way of somewhere Scandinavian, by her last name. And we've repeated the brilliant Asian makeup of the good earth, which is just make them have a very large forehead. Plays a... Is she Malaysian? It's not clear because everything is so stereotyped. Originally, I think in the play, she is expressly Chinese and expressly his mistress. And the Hayes Code was like, nope. Right. They're married and she is Eurasian, which they take great pains to let you know. However, she doesn't speak a word of anything other than Chinese and to be fair, she doesn't speak a word, period, in the entire movie. She just gives a lot of looks, all of which are very arched eyebrows. It's weird because she's very much portrayed in a villainous way, but she's not the villain. She's the aggrieved party. This is another one of those parts where, to some degree, I'm like, I guess I'm glad a talented Asian actress didn't have to do this? Uh, yeah. On some level? <laughs> Obviously, the solution is write a good part for an Asian actress and then give it to her. But, like, you see this part and it's like her motives are so inscrutable because for the middle third, there's this, like, conspiracy of Asian servants who are ransoming the letter for $10,000. And it is completely inscrutable to me why the widow goes along with this, because she doesn't seem to need the money. She seems to just, pretty naturally, hate Betty Davis with every ounce of her being. Which is fair. <laughs> right, exactly. And then it's like, well, you've got her in a room alone on the seedy side of town that no one can explain why she's there. Why don't you just kill her? Yeah, and they have a random guy who is in an opium den. I'm not even sure, but he's clearly really stoned because he keeps giggling all the time. And I mean, this thing is chock-a-block full of horrible Asian stereotypes. Yep. I mean, I would say, like, kind of the only good performance in it is the guy who plays the lawyer. But it's not even that it's a good performance, it's just that it's better than everything else. Yeah, I also think that Herbert Marshall, the guy playing her husband, does a pretty good job playing an absolute dope. Which he has to for the plot to work. Like, I think that's the script's fault and not the actor's fault. That he's just this kind of, like, guileless dipshit. And, like, he does pretty good work with that. Just being handsome and going, like, what does he mean, my darling wife? That's true. And he does do a pretty good job of selling that he will forgive her and is happy to just sort of move on from this bad moment in their lives. Which, she can't even fake it for longer than, like, five seconds. She says, I'll do everything that I can to make this work. And then he kisses her and she pulls away and says, With all my heart, I still love the man I killed. Which is absurd. I think it's supposed to be one of those, like, 
Silence of the Lamb-esque portraits of, like, the psychology of a devious killer. Because she does all that lace work shit all the time that's supposed to be some elaborate metaphor for her patients. And how she's always weaving a web. But it's like, how did this woman manage to carry on an affair for more than three weeks? Like, she seems so inept at every step of this. She's not terribly good at faking anything. The result is it's just boring. I made it about 10 minutes before I just went to check the Wikipedia page to see if I knew exactly what this movie was going to be. And yep, I did. Right down to like, and then she dies at the end because the Hayes Code won't let her get away with it, right? Because that would be the one interesting thing that might happen. Is that like, after she's bad at it, she still gets away with it. But like... Nah. Well, and it would have been interesting if it had been a comment on the fact that colonizers can get away with whatever they want, but it wasn't even that. No, instead it's like the devious natives keep bilking these white people for all they're worth, which is wild. Yeah, I mean, I was actually okay with that. (laughs) I mean, yes, but just like as a way for this to go down... (laughs) It seems like that's the social commentary this wants to do. Like, this is one of those things where it's like, did this movie think it was progressive? I don't really know. Again, I can't really get a read on what it is trying to communicate. I mean, it just seems to be sort of a pot boiler for the sake of being a pot boiler. And it's not even good at that. I mean, like you said, you know from five minutes in how all of this is going to unfold, that she's obviously faking the story about him trying to assault her because she's very transparent and that she's going to get away with it. And because we know the Hayes Code, that she's going to have to die because of adultery and murder. And then Betty Davis isn't very good. And then that's the, the whole movie. That's the whole movie. I'm starting to really wonder what the thing was with Betty Davis. She's just interesting to look at. It's the Remy Malik thing. <laughs> but isn't Remy Malik good? I mean, I don't know. I haven't actually seen him in anything except for Mr. Robot, which it's really hard to- You know that I have selfish reasons to not like Mr. Robot that we don't need to get into, and so I'm just taking that out of consideration. And maybe I should have to watch all of Bohemian Rhapsody, which I guess we will someday, Christ. Instead of just the scenes that are like, why is this winning awards? (laughs) But having seen about five minutes of his acting in Bohemian Rhapsody, I think maybe we just really like looking at him. I feel like in Mr. Robot, he is actually good, but also the show itself is so weird that looking at someone's acting is a difficult thing to really evaluate. And yeah, I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, and and I'm not going to for like 10 years, so... I also think if it's cast correctly, a person that's just interesting to look at but can't actually do all that much than stand there is a pretty good actor. Like, can be. (laughs) I am being dismissive of it right now because I kind of hated this movie, but like, I think it's fine to just cast somebody that's interesting to look at and then have them sort of stare into the middle distance for a lot of the movie. Like, that's a lot of Brad Pitt's career. He can also act, but some of his best roles are just Brad Pitt standing there and staring at things. Yeah, Kate Blanchett is that way too, mm-hmm. where when she actually has something to do, she's actually quite good. 
but she gets Galadriel because she looks like an alien slash an elf, but incredibly beautiful somehow. Right. And like the weird thing about Betty Davis is not that we just want to look at Betty Davis's face because like I get it. It's that they keep casting her to do these huge emotional blow-ups, and she's not very good at it. <laughs> like, she just has this one tone. <laughs> just cast her in something where she'd be good at that, and she'd be very good. But all anybody ever does is have her be, like, taut psychological thriller portrait of a woman about to break down. She just doesn't do it. No, she's at her best when she's very icy, mm -hmm. which, again, calls for her to look interesting and stare into the middle distance. And they keep giving her these big emotional roles. And she only has like zero and 60 and nothing in between. So there's no buildup to these huge emotional blowups. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. And I feel bad because like, you know, she is one of the most iconic actresses who ever lived. But she's just not for me. Maybe it would be different in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, because people say that that movie is amazing. Maybe. Maybe she really pulls it together. Maybe people start casting her right. I know there are modern examples of this, but I'm trying to think of a thing where people just had an actress's type wrong for like 10 years and just kept casting them as like the wrong thing. I think there are a lot of very handsome male actors that are a lot better when you like cast them in character actor parts, but they're like too handsome to get it a lot of the time. Like Jude Law was just so attractive that he had to be a leading man through the 90s, but he's kind of a lot more fun now that he's just playing weirdos all the time. Yeah, once they put him in Mr. Ripley and realized that his sort of ethereal beauty is way more interesting when he's evil. Mm -hmm. I agree. I can't think of any actresses in particular. And a lot of that actually is down to what are actresses called on to do most of the time. Be beautiful, or if you are beautiful, make yourself ugly in order to win an Academy Award. Right. The Charlize Theron path. <laughs> I think it is also much harder for actresses to switch tracks in that way, jump from being an ingenue to being more of a character actress or a like matronly type or whatever. They usually just hire a new actress that's a different actress for that instead of going like, what's Jude Law up to? Maybe he can give it a shot. And there's not a lot of interesting villains or creeps who are women. I mean, I guess that, you know, art reflects life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done with Betty Davis. I hope that we are also done with Betty Davis, but I have a feeling we're not. Yeah. Because Hollywood loved her. They really did. There's also this thing where you're like, oh, was she great to work? No, it's Betty Davis. So she definitely wasn't great to work with. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely wasn't what it was. Was she not? Was she like notoriously a pain in the ass to work with? A little bit. I think of her as being kind of one of the quintessential divas of old Hollywood. Mm. She apparently walked off set because the director kept demanding she look at her husband when she says the ridiculous line about still loving the man she killed. And she was like, she would never look him in the eyes and just marched off and then eventually did it the director's way. And it's one of those anecdotes where it's just like, who cares? What a boring choice to go to the map for either way. Like the problem with that scene is the entirety of the scene and not where your head is angled when you're saying it. Also, it's your job. 
to do what the director tells you to do. I mean, it's not like he was asking her to do something dangerous or humiliating. It's literally where her head is turned. It's one of those things where just like, I think she did it, but then she insisted it would have been better her way till the end of time. And it's like, I don't know, maybe, but what a weird, boring, like, it just doesn't matter. Kind of like this movie. Yeah. So like two, three, somewhere in there. We've watched worse. I mean, it's super racist. Uh, But like, I want to just take this poster for the letter and then just have like the top of it in that same font where it says dangerous go. We've seen worse. The screen (laughs) test of time. Oh, we have though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to say like a three for the general content of the movie down to a two for the horrible racist Asian stereotypes. Yeah. That seems accurate to me. Don't watch this movie. I'm trying to think if there's a better movie than this to watch that has like a similar kind of plot. And I was trying during the movie. I mean, we don't know how to make basic instinct yet, right? Like we don't know how to do a dangerous sexualized woman who part of the danger is the sexuality. Yeah, but it's also illegal because of the Hays Code. (laughs) Right, exactly. So like also just don't have made this movie under the Hays Code. But like the correct answer is... the 80s heyday of doing this movie where uh, um, what's his name Uh, Starship Troopers and uh, uh, Total Recall Verhoeven yeah Verhoeven just does this movie but good like four times yeah (laughs) late 80s early 90s has a ton of those And then they're horribly sexist, generally speaking, but, like, they do actually succeed in, like, creating tension. Fatal attraction. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess it is really, like, an 80s phenomenon, the affair thriller. Yeah. And this ain't it. No. You don't really see any of the affair and none of it is thrilling. There are so many complete genres where the Hayes Code would just look at the name of the genre and go, well, can't have any of that. That's totally <laughs> true. And what this wants to be can't exist. Yeah. So, <sighs> yeah, we told you it would be short. <laughs> and it will be. But next week. Next week is the Philadelphia story. Right? And like, it's going to be good. I feel like there are going to be ways that it's probably kind of disappointingly of its time. But like, I don't know. Look at this cast. This cast is absurd. Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and Jimmy Stewart. Even if I hate the movie, I'm going to love looking at all of them. And they're all going to give great performances. Yeah. It is George Cooker, so there is the possibility that it will be very cheesily directed, but whatever. (laughs) It's also the greatest actor of all time, Roland Young, is here. Oh, good. I love him so much. Yeah. It's Catherine Hepburn's, what, like, fourth comeback yeah it's wild i never understand that i feel like every katherine hepburn movie we watch which is like every other year of nominees they say oh this was her big comeback after she was considered box office poison and i'm thinking was she just in every single movie that that determination could have been made i mean we've talked about this before but like or is it one of those things where like the pr around katherine hepburn was like always that she's the comeback kid it's like backstreet's back where did they go <laughs> right they they've just been recording an album for a year that's just normal <laughs> right yeah but 
Yay, we have a movie that, I mean, at least as far as I know, at least won't have Yellowface in it, so that's something. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely an improvement from this week. So tune in next week and find out if this movie is actually as good as it's supposed to be. Yeah. And until then, this was a movie. Yeah, and like, I guess it was also a stage play, but I cannot for the life of me work out how. Or what the point was. Right. It's mind-boggling to me. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye, everybody. I won't mention it again, Mrs. Crosby. I know you must want to forget the whole subject, but I just can't get over the way you gave your evidence. Everything's so exact, down to the smallest detail, you know? I'll never forget the night it happened. I don't mind telling you I was a good deal upset. My first case, you know. <laughs> Quite a beginning, what? Do you mind if we sit down? No. Uh, no, of course not. <laughs>